Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. The Diction Police is now officially in its third year of production, which is really exciting for me. The audience for the podcast has more than doubled over its second year, and I'd love to say the same thing again next year. So please be sure to spread the word about it, share it on Facebook and Twitter, and tell your friends. This week and next, our topic is English diction, specifically the differences between British received pronunciation and standard American English. Jason Nadecki, a Canadian baritone and diction teacher, is with us to discuss the Thomas Hardy poem, Before Life and After, concentrating on the whine, whine rule of WHs, the prefixes RE, PRE, and BE, and the vowel shifts that occur between British RP and American AS English, including phonetic AE, the A sound, becoming a dark A in RP, dark A or the upside-down V, which is like a stressed schwa, becoming an upside-down dark A in RP, and the American dark A becoming open O in RP. Jason has also made a worksheet available to us that I'll post, entitled English Diction, Pronunciation Shifts in Singing. In the wake of having posted so many articles about the rough life of musicians, and me always seeming to talk about how tough the opera world is, I thought it only fitting to, to tell a happy story for a change. When I was in high school, we had to do a project in health class on budgeting for our lives. Some schools do it as a marriage project, but we didn't have enough guys in our class, so one of my girlfriends and I did the project together as future roommates. And we had to figure out a monthly budget, buy furniture for our future apartment, put together weekly shopping lists, pay utilities. You get the picture. Our salaries were taken from reference books listing the national averages of what professionals in that field were making, and from there we were able to complete the project however we saw fit. Of course, I chose the profession of musician and looked up all the information accordingly. I'll never forget that project because my health teacher was so mad at me that quarter. It was spring when county, district, and regional music festivals were being held, and I was fortunate enough to get into all of them as a pianist and singer for the chorus, as a violist in the orchestra, and as a marimba player in the band. I missed about 12 days of school for all of those music festivals, and about half of those days were health class, which did not please my teacher. I did complete my project on time, and I remember that my project and I were being very frugal, planning to buy cheaper furniture, a smaller apartment to live in, just trying to be sure that we weren't spending far beyond our means. But when we got our grades, the teacher gave us both a low grade. His only comment to me was, completely unrealistic and useless professional goal. He gave my partner a low grade because she had partnered with me. The funny thing is, I actually learned a lot doing that project, and over the years, I've repeated that same pattern that I mapped out in health class. I am a musician, and I did always go for the more cost-effective apartment rather than the cool place. I've been very frugal about furniture, In fact, here in Germany, I've only bought a bed, an armoire, a filing cabinet, my kitchen, which is a whole other part about living in Germany, a desk, and of course a luxurious kitty condo from Miss Kitty Fantastico. Everything else in my apartment was given to me by friends who didn't need their sofa, dressers, bookshelves, or tables anymore. 
but having moved from the U.S. to Germany, and having moved within Germany five times in ten years, saving has been difficult. I've kept myself on a budget most of the time, and I've only really spent my money on traveling back to see family in the States. And now, I'm in the very exciting process of buying an apartment. I have to say, I never really thought I'd ever have enough money to buy a house, but somehow it's working now. In Germany, it's quite unusual for people to own an apartment, but it seems like a good idea to start investing my money in my own apartment rather than continuing to pay rent. With a steady job with benefits, fabulous colleagues, challenging work, and enough free time to pursue my passion for language and diction, I'm feeling rather lucky and spoiled. So as you read the stories about musicians traveling from place to place, no insurance, worried about the next gig, worried about next season, know that I did that too, that I loved that life actually, but there are ways to move beyond it and have the things you want. A good friend and I were talking last week. She and I are both type A personalities, always looking for the next challenge, wondering what's next, where we go from here. What we've both realized is, this is the life we've been working for. I've always kept a list of my goals, had five-year, ten-year plans, constantly thinking about how to get where I want to go. Sometimes it's tough to see that you've actually achieved the goal you started out seeking. But while there'll always be a part of me that wants to better myself in my life, I'm also old enough now to realize that life is the goal. There's actually nothing more than this. There were a few people who questioned my choice of a career at the beginning, and if, that have questioned the choices I made along the way in my career. And the path that I've taken may not be the one that I had planned on my five and ten year plans from the beginning, but it's gotten me where I am now. There may be other jobs in other cities, but for now, I'm going to enjoy where I am. Enjoy what you have, enjoy the struggle, enjoy the work, and enjoy the rewards, no matter what stage of the business you're in. And there's also a part of me that wants to email my old health teacher, too, and say, how unrealistic am I being now? I'll post links to the text for today at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. You can also follow the Diction Police on Facebook or on Twitter at Diction Police. And please remember to spread the word. Our text for today is Thomas Hardy's Before Life and After, the final song in Benjamin Britten's Winter Words. Thomas Hardy lived from 1840 to 1928 and was considered a Victorian realist writer. Probably his most famous work is Tessa the D'Urbervilles. I've read a few of his novels, and I admit that they kind of leave me depressed because of the character's fatalistic view of the world, but I do admire his writing immensely. He has 947 published poems, as well as many novels and short stories, and all of his works can be found online at the Thomas Hardy Society. A time there was, as one may guess, and as indeed Earth's testimonies tell, before the birth of consciousness, when all went well. None suffered sickness, love, or loss. None knew regret, starved hope, or heart burnings. None cared whatever crash or cross brought rack to things. If something ceased, no tongue bewailed. If something winced and waned, no heart was wrung. If brightness dimmed and dark prevailed, no sense was stunned.
But the disease of feeling germed and primal rightness took the tinct of wrong. Ere nescience shall be reaffirmed, how long, how long? That was Jason Nadecki reading Before Life and After, and we started out talking about what we as American slash Canadian English native speakers need to focus on when looking at a British text. As I went through, I sort of thought, as I have to do with everything that, that is not my own American standard accent, what shifts could I make? In terms of vowels, little words that we sort of throw away, I guess, for lack of better terms, uh, in standard American, have more rounded specific vowels in RP. Like in the first line, we say was. Exactly. With that, that upside down V in IPA. Mm-hmm. But uh, unless they're speaking in, in that connected speech that's, that's quite quick, in RP would be was. Exactly, which and, is that rounder sound. Yeah. So all that is, is a lowercase a mm-hmm. flipped backwards in IPA. And, and you just take the ah sound of father that we all use for father yeah. and round the lips a bit. And that's the short rounded O. So we have God, hot, coffee. Yep. Instead of God, hot, coffee. <laughs> and really, it does sing better and feels like it has a bit more roundness and depth to it. So if you draw a lowercase a without the little hat on it and think of putting the, the vertical bar on the left side. Exactly. Make it a mirror. Stick the, yeah, stick the lips forward a bit and change how you draw that, that bar in the, in the IPA and you've got it. Exactly. So, loss becomes loss. And I think, honestly, I think as, a, as an American, that's one of the few sounds that we really do make so completely different from then, and, and it's one of the easiest ones to change once you've picked the words you want to do that to. It is, and they happen everywhere. Yeah. From, of, in this poem, long, wrong, or wrong, as the case may be. Exactly. <laughs> All over the place. One of the vowels that is something that, 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 that tells the difference between an RP speaker and, and an American standard speaker right away mm-hmm. in speech is the closed, so to speak, closed O. Yeah. Which, of course, is a built-in diphthong that yes. we have as O, and in RP speech is O. Exactly. Interestingly enough, this is not a vowel sound that the British sing. No, not at all. So it's kind of the one sound that we can keep, as American speakers, we can keep the same. Yeah. If peers were to speak, no sense was stung, mm-hmm. we'd definitely hear no. Yeah. But there's no way that he would sing no <laughs> in the lyric application. So no. it's no, uh, hope. That one, we're lucky there's a one-off for us that we don't have to worry about altering. Yeah. Exactly. Just our O sound the way it is. Yeah. Um, yes, because O really, I don't know, it's, it, uh, it's represented in IPA, by the way, as schwa, and then the little flying U, I like to call it, with the, <laughs> the U with handles, open O. Yeah, my cookie, so the, the cookie U. Yeah, there you go, cookie U. That's what, what its representation is in IPA, the schwa followed by cookie U. And uh, if you were to sing like that, it, would, it, it definitely would have some kind of social connotations. You know, <laughs> think of Noel Coward and 
new since was done, or, <laughs> or some kind of um, highly affected manner of speech. I don't know, maybe a lady billows could have it in there, here and there, but it's definitely something that, that, as I say, even the British don't adhere to when they're singing. Exactly. Well, that's also because it's a very tight sound. I mean, yeah. you can even hear it when you can see it in your face when you say that, eh, that it actually <laughs> is shutting down all the space in the back of your mouth. So better to leave the space open and sing an oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think it works better. Yeah. And it's what we hear from, from the, the good British interpreters. There's also a couple of fun little things that we can talk about in this, like the WHs. Yeah. <laughs> the wine-wine merger, as it's called, as where it, yes. <laughs> most accents of English on this side of the pond or the other have undergone this merger, where we don't really distinguish in speech anymore between quo and wo. Of course, that makes a bunch of homophones. Yes. Words that uh, mean different things but are now pronounced the same way in, in modern speech. If you use too much H, too much unvoiced air, uh -huh. before wo, admittedly, it sounds pretty put on. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, Amanda Johnson, has a great new textbook on English and German. And I like what she says about WH. The air, the residual air that's already in your mouth, mm -hmm. if you choose to make this sound, is enough. Yes. It shouldn't summon up any other pulmonic uh, forces <laughs> underneath to, yeah. to make a great big Because <laughs> it's really too much. And sometimes, when I'm listening to recordings to see, oh, does so-and-so use that whoop? I have to play it back two or three times to see if it's even there. Yeah. And usually it's there, but just a wee little bit. It's just a hint. Mm -hmm. In fact, in this poem, uh, again, going to the source, I mean, we can do no better than in a Britain song written for peers to listen to Peter Beers. Exactly. Uh, in the first stanza at the end, he hardly does a whoa at all in when. Right. Maybe that's so we get the alliteration of when all went well, the whoa, whoa, whoa. Exactly. Well, and the other thing is, I don't know of any words that are when. I mean, I don't know of any homino homonym that would, that would yes, apply. Exactly. That's right. And it's such a common word. Yeah. However, when he gets to the third or the second stanza, the third line in the second stanza, it's a very clear, none cared whatever crash or cross. So whatever, he really does make a point of, of bringing out that what. It's an expressive thing in that case, and, and, and certainly, I would imagine anyways, not a subconscious thing. It's a choice that he, that he went for that. Yeah. So you can play with the degree of the, well, the, the, the air that's uttered before the W sound, but all in all, it should never be really accented or, or thought of that it, it has to have a great gust of wind beforehand. Exactly. In fact, phonetically speaking, I, I caught myself saying it's, uh, H followed by whoop. Mm -hmm. But I guess, really, they, they say it should just be an unvoiced W. So it doesn't need to be whoop at all. It's just... It, yeah, so that it's not voiced. You lose the ooh, basically, what, under it. Whatever, when, which. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to play with that. I think, because I think on the last English episode, I think I also said you can write it as HW. And, I, and actually, I think you yeah. can, depending on how you want to do it, if you want to be sure that you understand what you wrote. But technically, yeah. the phonetic symbol is the upside down W. That's right. Upside down, lowercase W. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So another fun 
point with W's is that we yeah. have we have three words in this song that start with W R. And in the English uh-huh. language, no matter where you are, that W is always completely silent, right? Absolutely. I can't think how else you do it. I mean, it just can't be. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't serve any phonetic function. No. The etymology of the words, I, I, I imagine, would have some kind of clue as to why they're spelled that way. Yeah, there must be some reason why it's like that. But uh, certainly, yeah, no kind of uh, glide at all of a W sound before the R. Yeah. So looking at it, we have rung or rung, rack, rack, wrong, wrong, however you choose to, to articulate the R, but it's just plain old consonant R, not anything else before the R. Exactly. One of the things that I love about this song is that the second to last line, we get the word that I would as an American say, nescience. Aha. The opposite of conscience or conscious is nescience. Well, I did look it up for the RP and it's nescience, but maybe he gives um, an American equivalent. Yes, he does. In fact, he shows as the first indication for American standard as nescience. Oh, wow. That makes me feel good. Certainly the, the British singers that I listen to all go for nescience. Yeah, so it's an S and then actually a J-glide, right? Yes. Nescience. Yeah. I would think of it as open air, S, and then yance, like a J-glide and a schwa. Mm-hmm. Essence. Yeah. Reaffirmed. The R-E prefix. Exactly. Because well, oftentimes an E-A will, be, will have its own sound together, but in this case... Like treat, T-R-A-T. Yeah, okay, so here we have a prefix, and it should definitely be re. Other times with R-E, it conforms to that rule that's laid out in the diction texts where it should be kind of thought of as open eye. Exactly, well, like reply. Reply, or even in this piece, we have B-E prefix prefix in bewailed. Mm-hmm, and we have, early on, we have regret. Regret, prevailed. The reason this one is a firm closed E is because when that RE functions as um, uh, an indication of the verb happening or the action happening again, yeah. then it, it, has, it acquires that stress. Exactly. So it exactly. needs to be reaffirmed as opposed to earlier on where we have regret. Yeah. I-re-re. Yeah. I'm just looking here. If we want to go back a bit and, and uh, take a peek at this rounded short O, hot coffee. Yes, let's um, please do that. If we look at the end of the third stanza, mm-hmm. no sense was stung. So there, for example, in American standard, the was and stung would have the same ah, back to back. Yeah, was stung. Exactly. But here, it could be altered to was stung. So they're no longer the same vowel. And a combination that occurs to me, we get it really often, is of love. Yeah. You know, whatever, of love. Where we would say of love. Exactly. <laughs> and when we're singing, it should be of love or from love is another kind of combination we get a lot. And there it's that little rounded short O in the first word followed by the ah sound. Exactly. Was stung. Yeah. Well, and at the end of the first verse, we have that sort of rounded sound by the word all. Yeah. Now that's the curious, 
shown as an open O, but really it's much more closed in RP than, for example, in Italian and certainly in French. I mean, if we think of the French open O represented by the same IPA phoneme. The, yeah, basically yeah. backwards C, but it's an O that just doesn't make a complete circle. Exactly. In a word like come or um, mm -hmm. words like that in French, that's very open. Compare that to the same symbol used in all. Come all. Yeah. I mean, they're really, we're floating on opposite ends of the spectrum here. And, and unfortunately, we've got the same symbol to represent them. Exactly. One thing that does help a bit, I suppose, is if we were to use a narrow transcription, that all sound in, in English can be followed by the little colon, the, the two points to show that it's long, it's lengthened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a big shift between American standard pronunciation and received pronunciation, where we have all, <laughs> and they go for all. Mm -hmm. Before an R, we already have the O sound, so it's yeah. just that we say the R. So, <laughs> Lord, we don't need to shift the vowel, we just sort of drop that R. Exactly. In, 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 to shift to RP. But others like call, coal, all, all, those do have a, a distinctly different vowel. And again, I, I kind of like singing that because it's, it, it's a chance for lip rounding and to finish off and, and give some depth to that vowel that's otherwise kind of, uh, you know, just sort of left hanging a bit. Exactly. <laughs> they do have the ah uh sound in um, words like father. That's kind of the same in American Standard and Received Pronunciation. Mm -hmm. And they shift to that aw sound where we don't always. And this is a kind of a thorny topic, again, with, with vowels, where we have that flat A, A, in words like advance, mm -hmm. dance, laugh, rather. They, of course, have advance, dance, laugh, rather. Exactly. And even when and you say it, you, we automatically react to that and say, like, oh, that's, not, that's British, that's not American. Exactly. That's one where we kind of, as American singers, we bristle. Oh, yeah. do you really want to go that far? But I mean, again, I think if we don't make the shift, you're deciding that your American pronunciation is, is better. Well, and, and in this piece, Before Life and After is a Thomas Hardy text, a yes. British, British poet, Peter Pears, Benjamin Britten, British singer, yeah. British pianist, British composer. Yes. So we may as well stick with the British. Absolutely. While we were talking, Jason mentioned looking up the word nescience, nescience. And while he was at it, he introduced me to an English dictionary that I'd never heard of before, Longman's Pronunciation Dictionary. He raves over it, and I spent some time on the internet looking into it. The hardest thing about buying dictionaries online is knowing whether they use IPA or not. But having read through the comments under each entry, apparently the third edition of the Longman's Pronunciation Dictionary does not use IPA, but the second edition did, including phonetics for both British Received Pronunciation and American Standard English, which makes it perfect for our purposes. I just ordered the second edition, so I'll report back next week as well, and I'll put a link to the Amazon entry for it. If anyone has the third edition or has access to it, please check it out and let me know about those phonetics. We've talked about the RE prefix before in terms of Italian verbs. In Italian, it's important to know when the RI at the beginning of a word is part of the word stem 
or a prefix meaning to do something again, because in Italian it will have a bearing on the following consonant. In English, we need to know whether the unstressed initial RE and PRE are prefixes in order to know which vowel to use. In a word like regret, the RE at the beginning is phoneticized as an open uppercase I, not regret. But in reaffirmed, the RE is the prefix meaning again. So it needs to have more stress and is therefore a closed lowercase I, the E sound. This difference is important because it can change the meaning of the word. Redress means to make amends for, generally in a legal sense, but to redress means to dress again. Resign means to quit something, but resign means to write your signature again. PRE works the same way. In this song, we have prevailed, and there are words like prefer, precise, preclude, where the vowel is the open capital I. But we also have the prefix pre, to do something before or ahead of time, like pre-record, precede, preconceive, and prejudge. There we get the lowercase i. Initial be is a slightly different creature. A be prefix doesn't have a meaning in the way that re and pre do. So an unstressed be at the beginning of the word will always be an open capital I phonetic sound, like we have here in bewail, as well as in words like below, beside, beseech, bereft, and behave. Open O's are not all created equal. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Part of the reason the symbol for the diction police is a schwa with a prohibition sign is because we use the same phonetic letters in every language, but they don't all necessarily sound the same. We have another example of that situation today with the phonetic open O in received pronunciation. If you think about the way a British person says all and compare that to a Frenchman saying comme or a German saying schloss, you'll notice that they don't sound alike at all. But phonetically, we transcribe this with the same open O, which basically looks like a backward C. As we said, sometimes the American dark ah sound will change to the upside-down dark ah sound in received pronunciation. But not always, so it's important to know when it doesn't change. And for that, you need either a native speaker or a good dictionary. This rule is important in the phrases that we mentioned, like was stung and of love. As Americans, the tendency is to pronounce all four of these words exactly the same. And I think the most difficult thing about these words is that the, the words that change are the weak ones in the phrase. Stung and love sound the way we expect them to. Was and of are the ones that change to the upside down ah. And since we don't really think about them, we forget to make the shift. This is why it's always important to think of your own native language as a foreign language in terms of lyric diction. And for our foreign listeners, please pay special attention to the ends of these words. Notice that the final consonant is voiced. Many other languages de-voice the ends of words, but English doesn't. If you say off instead of of, we know it immediately. And with was stung, we need both the voiced phonetic Z to end was and the unvoiced S to begin stung. 
and I promise that it's possible. Jason Nadecki is a Canadian baritone who's also an expert on lyric diction, not only for English, but also in French. He works as language coach for the Canadian Opera Company and teaches diction at the University of Toronto and the Glenn Gould School of Music of the Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto. He also has published French Diction for Singers, which contains a long list of the pronunciation of proper names in French. My copy just arrived, so I'll be sure to talk more about that the next time we have a French episode. We talked a little bit about this before, but the other shift that can be made in received pronunciation is the change from the A, the A-E phonetic sound, to a round dark A. Yeah. In that poem, there are no examples where A will shift to A. And um, in that, that great old textbook of Madeline Marshall, the Singer's Manual of English Diction, mm -hmm. she points out and she comes up with this great list of words that are hand words and ask words. Uh -huh. And this is a bit of a trap. So we've talked now a little bit about which words become ah, uh, but they don't all systematically shift from our ah uh to ah. Uh. Right, and so, that's, that's kind then, of the problem, isn't it? That the, the, There are some words that will stay ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, just like ours, and others that switch. Exactly. <laughs> Right, so those hand words do not become ah. And the quickest way to pick out a bad imitation of a British accent is to hear someone say, what a lovely land you live in, instead of land, because <laughs> no British person says land. That's an, that's an improper shift to ah. And there are tons of words like this, at, um, cat, Lamp. I mean, there are many, many, many words that stay on hand itself. Of course, the reason for the list, the name of that list altogether, hand, does not shift to hand. Exactly. Uh, so those really should stay. And, and in English, we need that vowel. It's really the only language, if we think of the four quote-unquote singing languages of English, French, German, and Italian, uh -huh. English is the only one that has that uh, IPA symbol, A-E, stuck together, the cat vowel. And it is kind of troublesome to find a good spot for it, right. vocally, to sing it. But we need it, and it's one of the colors on the palette. Yeah. We were talking a bit before off, off tape about uh, how do you know which words are on the ask list exactly. and which stay on the hand list. And your and answer, I, which I loved, was it's kind of like the aspirate H in French. <laughs> you have to exactly. look it up. <laughs> if it's not your native language, or in this case your native accent, you just sort of have to get used to the words that you know shift. I mean, we're familiar with, I could have danced all night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know that dance is one that, that, that makes the list. But look it up. Most dictionaries, British dictionaries anyways, published in, in the UK, show IPA, and you can get a good sense of, of, uh, of the words that, that make the ask list or ones that stay. The A-E phonetic sound can be difficult for non-native speakers, since English is the only one of the standard operatic languages that has it. In fact, besides English, so far I've only come across it in the Scandinavian languages. Since Jason brought up Madeline Marshall, I thought I'd look to see what she said about the A sound. She suggests to sing the word head and then keep the soft palate in the same high position to sing had. For Americans, one main difference between opera and a more Broadway type of sound is the height of the soft palate. If you let the soft palate fall the way we do in casual speech, 
the ah sound goes straight into the nose, and we lose the overtones that a voice needs to have in classical music. When it comes to the shift between ah and a dark ah, Jason's worksheet that I'll be posting also includes a list of these words, which gives us all a good place to start so that we don't have to look up every word in English. Madeline Marshall's book has some extensive rules for hand words, which are the ones where the ah stays the same. Stressed A is pronounced ah when followed by B, C, CK, D, G, L, M, N, N, D, N, G, N, K, P, S, H, T, T, C, H, V, X, and Z. Got that? <laughs> she has a much shorter list of ask words, which are a stressed ah followed by a phonetic F, which of course includes PH and GH spellings, phonetic NS, which includes NCE words, NCH, S, and TH. Of course, here there are many exceptions, so it's really worth rereading chapter 48, which is appropriately entitled When to Sing Ah, When to Sing Ah. And that's all for today. To find out more about Jason Nadecki, to download his worksheet on the pronunciation shifts in singing, or if you have any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please visit the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and give it a high rating so that others can find it and benefit from it, or post and share on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next time.